Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. I'd like to greet you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would like to thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share the Word of God with you. And it's really a joy to be with you. It's a joy to uh, meditate on God's Word with you as well. I've been a Christian for uh, about since 1987, so and I've been reading the Bible ever since. I went to the seminary, got a Master of Divinity, and even after that went for a Master of Theology. Uh, but I noticed something, even though all I've been doing is studying the Bible, that the Bible itself never loses its newness to me. Every time I read it, I feel like I'm reading it for the first time. That passage we're about to read from the Bible, from the book of Acts 17, when Paul was in Athens, is something I read really many, many times, and I have practiced. But the minute I set about uh, doing my preparation for speaking this morning, I felt like I'm learning some things I, as, it's as if I never read before. And why am I sharing that? Just to share with you that the Bible never loses its newness. Even though it's the same Bible you find in a hotel, in a drawer somewhere. You find at a dentist's office sitting on a table somewhere. You find in your house on the bookshelf. You feel like you read it many times. No, the more you read it, that one verse... I. I've noticed that one verse I can read, I can spend the whole week just meditating on that verse and finding how richly inexhaustible it is that I can't fathom its depth completely. There's more to glean out of the Bible. And uh, every time you pick up the Bible and read it, you're bound to get something new out of it. And the most important thing as you read the Bible is when you're reading it, to know you are, you are face to face with the Lord. He's your best friend. He's sitting in front of you. He's speaking to your heart. He's speaking to you. Not at you, but speaking to you. Speaking to your heart. And he will give you something specific for what you might be thinking of. And uh, you will get a special word in your mind that might hit you like a flash and say, do this. And you discover, hmm, this is what they call divine guidance. The Lord is giving you divine guidance. When I was a Muslim, we didn't have anything such as divine guidance per se. When I was a Muslim and I grew up as a Muslim, People prayed to God, God who is somewhere in the heaven, somewhere above, 
detached from people. But can he really guide them? No. They offer approach him as slaves, slaves of Allah, but not as children who can wait on him to hear his voice. The beautiful thing is for us as children of God that when we open the Bible, that when we do, we'll hear a voice. That voice we'll hear within. And it will tell you, why don't you do this? I'm not a doctor. I never immersed myself in medical training, but somebody would come to me, you know, describing her problem with insomnia. She's been on sleeping pills. And she, as a teacher, she was discovering uh, that she was suffering from amnesia. How I wondered to myself, just doing the dishes and thanking the Lord at the same time and communing with the Lord while doing the chores of the kitchen, I said, is there possible for for it to be for, for a relationship between is it possible to, to have a relationship between amnesia and sleeping pills? Looked up, what are the side effects of sleeping pills? Number one, amnesia. Who gave me that? It's the Lord. Somebody comes to you for help with a problem that might rise above your own education, rise above your own thinking, and, and yet you will be given some understanding that nobody can have because you're sensitively attuned to God's voice within you and you are communing with him, calming yourself down in his presence. In Acts, in the book of Acts, uh, Acts 17, uh, and we read verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he sees all these idols and something within him, he feels vexed disagreement, you know. He can be in harmony. And you turn on the TV and they tell you, you have to be in harmony with everything. We are in a politically correct society. You have to agree. You're expected to agree. And the answer to that is, no, you don't have to agree. You don't have to apologize for being different. You don't have to apologize for being Christian. You, you don't have to apologize for taking a stand and having your own convictions. But they expect you to swallow, like the phrase goes in Arabic, swallow a camel. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but this I cannot fathom. That's a camel. Yes, still you will have to swallow it. How? You just swallow it and a gulp a glass of water down to it and it will go down. Absolutely absurd, but trying to placate everybody. No, it's important to be honest. And when we see things that go against our Christian conviction, we should have the attitude of Paul and say, no, I can't be in harmony with that. I can't accept that. And by the way, I don't apologize for that. But in all, the most important thing is to speak the truth in love. In other words, you say what it is and say, that's where I believe. And not be ashamed. And men, and from my observation, 
Men in the East tend to be religious like those men that Paul saw in Athens. They talk about God all the time. And uh, while it's good, while it has its downside, but it still has its own good side. Men in the States almost relegate spirituality to femininity. It's women who talk about spiritual things. Women, it's feminine to talk about God. It's men talk about action. What can we do to bring the gospel to people? But can they talk about, you know, what God means in their own personal life? They should. But is it feminine? It shouldn't be feminine. And men should see it as absolutely masculine to talk about the Lord and uh, how the Lord is speaking to them and how they are experiencing him from day to day without being ashamed, um, without getting political either. Because sometimes, and I notice that's another thing here, that when we talk about our spirituality in the States, we tend to easily take it to politics. Like I share with people, and then people say, in this country. No, I'm not talking about this country. I'm talking about you and me, the average everyday people. Let's not talk about this country, but let's talk about this country within your heart. Where do you see the Lord is at this point in your heart, in your life? In what way are you experiencing Him? In what way is He transforming you? In what way is He becoming real to you? Not a concept you read about, but a reality, a real person, a friend. And you're talking about all that without blushing that would it would detract from your masculinity or something. And so, as Paul was in Athens and he saw the city full of idols, he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, reasoning. And... It's important to reason with the people. Uh, it's possible for us here in the States to look at the people. And one thing that sincerely saddens me is that Christians sometimes have created a dichotomy between the church culture and the secular culture. We Christians don't do this. We Christians don't do that. We Christian, oh, that's the secular. That's why that separation? Why that big divide? It's one America, and you are supposed to infiltrate that secular culture, permeate it, and baptize it in the Word of God. You have something. You have a responsibility. Don't, instead of looking at them and point the finger, you're supposed to do what Paul here is doing, reasoning with them in the synagogue, in the, every place, but how would, he, how would he reason with them? He would speak to them at their own level. Not from above, but from within. And we'll see that. It's speaking to the people from their own hearts, from their starting, speaking to them, starting from where they are at. Not from big things and, no, meet people where they are at. Observing, um, so, reasoning in the synagogue in the Jew, with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. It's important that when we reason with people in the marketplace in whatever environment we're in, we don't sound preachy. 
but we speak to their hearts. Because it's easy for somebody who has such great wisdom, and sadly that happens often, that you'll hear a Christian say, this man, you know, isn't it interesting? He has such gems. But look at the method he's using to communicate these gems. He's pushing people away. He's building a wall between him and why build that wall between you and your audience? Oh, I'm speaking the truth and... Okay, you have shut the door. You are to reason with them and infiltrate them, not to shut the door and slam it shut. And it's important not to look down, and I can't say it enough, and I hope, you know, if I, if I really love somebody... It's important for you in the secular American culture to not look down on people condescendingly or look at them as better or look at them as you're, you have something that they don't have or you have to set them straight. It's easy for people who have these things to just say, say I, they are living in darkness, they are lost. And... Lo and behold, the person hearing you can detect these things. What is that called? Self-righteousness. It's the very thing. I mean, the Jews did have the Bible. They had, you know, Moses and the prophets and the books, the scriptures. They had. So, but Jesus saw that. And he said, on the seat of Moses said the scribes and the Pharisees. So, and whatever they tell you, do. But don't do, uh, I mean, do, obey the teaching, but don't act like they, uh, they do. Don't let their hypocrisy, don't let their self-righteousness rub off on you. And what is the greatest problem today in the church and all the wisdom that it has? What is the greatest problem Today in the church, in, in the treasure of the gospel that it has, it's self-righteousness. The people talk and look at the sinners, and the sinner, lo and behold, feels judged, condemned, looked down on. We Christians don't do that. We Christians don't do... And that builds a wall. That... In, inhibits the person from receiving the treasure of the gospel that you have. It's important to get to the heart of the person. And when you do that, you speak with compassion to them. And how do you speak with compassion? It's seeking understanding. The person who will hear you will say, he understood me. He understood what I'm going through. He feels exactly what he knows exactly what it feels to be going through one, two, three. He's not looking down on me. He doesn't, but people sometimes have to hide a big chunk of who they are because they are talking with somebody from one of those people in the church. When you should be, I mean, you are the physician. You speak in the name of the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have something to bring about healing to these people. If anything, these people should be exposing themselves 
laying themselves bare before you so that they experience true radical transformation due to the power of the gospel at work in their hearts through you. Not through anybody else, but through you. But I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. It's neither by might nor by power. It's not what you know. But it's who you know. And who do you know? You know the great physician. You know the great savior. You're united with your maker. You're united with your Lord. Your Lord is speaking through you without knowing it. You have something great to give. It's not about your ability to articulate what you have, but it's about your availability to let yourself be the agent of healing that touches souls. You made yourself available so that when another person in a situation of pain or hurt would come in contact with you, they would receive instant emotional healing. And a lot of the physical healings, by the way, are not too far away from you heal the, the, the mind, you heal the emotions, the body sometimes, many times, takes care of itself. It's, you heal the inside, that's why they call it psychosomatic. You heal the emotions, you heal the bitterness. There, there, is, there is a hurting world around you. And you have a message for them in the same way Paul here had for the people in Athens. And that's why he went and was reasoning with them. And your responsibility is amazing. Don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it because you feel like you have to. No, but do it in joy. As you're coming in contact with your neighbor or whatever, be a real person, be a human being. Don't be above them, but don't hide who you are either. And there will be something about you. I have noticed something about those Christians since my conversion from Islam to Christianity. Every person who is living in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, you look at their faces and you find some peace that you don't find unmistakably elsewhere. You find in them something distinguished. Say, this person looks different. There's something different about them. What is it? The Holy Spirit is in them. Christ rules in the heart. So how can I have what they have? And that was my testimony, you know. And in, as a Muslim, I look at Christians, I see some humility, some meekness, some peace, some gentleness, some amazing infinite divine love all over the face. All that you can see in the face. Compare that to the growling look, the scowling look. Are they on the same, on, on equal footing? No, there's a big difference. And many times when somebody is truly surrendered to Christ, Christ is the Lord, I look at the face and I'm pleased. So without saying a word, they are ministering tranquility and joy to me without knowing it. You become a walking and living gospel. And so, some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, were saying, 
What would this idle babbler wish to say? Now we notice that in Athens, there were Stoics. It's a philosophy. And Epicureans, it's a philosophy. When we hear the word philosophy, we can be intimidated. But in reality, philosophy for the Stoics and the Epicureans was, it was all about what is the best way to have a meaningful way of living. It's not about, you know, big thoughts, pompous thoughts. No. I got a book called, I spent about two months or so reading the book called Breakfast with Seneca. And he's one of the big teachers in Stoic philosophy. And it's all about how can you live a life of virtue? What is virtue in Greek thinking? It's excellence. How can we just be men of integrity? That's what these people were preoccupied with leading a life of excellence and integrity. That's what philosophy meant for the Stoics and the Epicureans. They wanted to have excellence in character, but apart from the work of the Lord. And in the American culture around us, can we see a parallel for that? You, you speak with your uncle and you begin to talk about your faith in Christ, and they say, they're hardworking people, they say, I'm a good guy, I don't do anything bad, I do what is right, I don't cheat, I don't lie, I don't, he's going by the book, he's doing what is right. It's human effort to reach the standard of God. It's commendable. Somebody's living a good life, living proper. But what about instead of human effort to meet a standard of goodness as high as it gets, we reverse it. Instead of reaching our way up to God, God reaching his way down to us. That's called Christianity. That's called grace. That you do the very things that these people want, Christianity calls you to be a man of integrity. But it is God who works in you these things. You Stoics, you Epicureans, you our wonderful neighbors who don't believe in the Lord and are content and they, you, you keep saying things like, I'm not part of organized religion. Don't they say things like that? I'm not part of organized religion. I'm not part of, uh, I don't do church. I don't do, uh, I don't need God, blah, 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 blah. Well, the things that you want to do to be an, a very good man, he can do all of them and he can do them because he is living in you. And when you do them, it will be done effortlessly. How is that? When I surrender my life to Christ and my life is wrapped in Him, my main focus is living in harmony with God. That's the main focus. My main focus is not being good in this part and that part. No. My main focus is 
I would like to be sensitively attuned to the guidance of the Lord. I'd like to be in His presence. I'd like to know I'm walking and moving and living in the presence of God. When I'm doing that, this in itself takes care of should I eat this or not eat this? Should I drink this or not drink that? Should I watch this or not watch that? All the do's and don'ts are easily, effortlessly taken care of and they don't become rigorous effort on your part because he does them all himself in you and through you without any straining or laborious work from you. And that's why when I hear Christians saying, you know, when we were in the dorm, I see my next door guy, you know, how are you? I'm struggling. I, what is that word? I don't like that word. What do you mean I'm struggling? Christians don't struggle. Well, struggle to do what? Struggling? Struggling with what? If you are wrapped up in him, you have a mindset of God. You don't struggle. You don't fight. You don't go against yourself. No, every, you are just carried along and you find yourself doing these impossible things because you are given a divine nature. You are a partaker of the divine nature. He does through you what you previously would struggle to do. You don't struggle. And when you do something you shouldn't do, you look and say, I missed the mark today. Forgive me, Lord. And you find yourself and say, let's get back on track. Let's get back to our bases. I'm a soldier of the Lord. How often are you a soldier of Christ putting on the armor of God? Every minute of your life. You're not a, a soldier of Christ, you know, part-time. No. You're not a soldier of Christ on call. No. Every minute of, it's like, Lord, I'm ready to do your will. I'm ready to do, I want to do what is pleasing to you. And when you do that, and you're thinking about something, before you speak, the Lord will say, here I am. You were thinking about something, a need. And without knowing, he makes a big door open for you. All these difficulties become paved, smoothed out. And thinking about something, he would prompt somebody else to think about that, something that is occupying your mind, and provide a perfect solution for you. Jehovah Jireh. You experience the providence of God because you are living in the divine realm, not living as a part-time Christian, not living just, oh, I'm saved, I'm forgiven. Um, I, I don't, you know, what more do I have to do, you know? No, you are to live in perfect, uh, you are to live in perfect enjoyment of your God minute by minute. And when you don't feel so well, say, what is it exactly? And we have to separate. We have to separate what is emotional from what is spiritual. 
Because sometimes we feel low because health-wise we're not so well. But it doesn't mean spiritually we're low. Our mind will tell us we're low spiritually. No, the truth is we're not low spiritually. We're just low physically. We're low emotionally. But I'm in the company of my beloved, my maker, and my king. He's surrounding me. He's enfolding me. And that's... People knew that all along, but the practice of that had to take the gates of divine grace to be opened up through the coming of the Savior, through Jesus Christ. I mean, when Paul is in Athens, he, in, uh, in his sermon on Mars Hills, as he stood in the Areopagus, he said, Men of Athens, I observe you are very religious. You're trying your best to be good people. Religious means you're, you know what is right and you're trying to do what is good, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't, down, he doesn't downplay that. He doesn't trash that. He doesn't, uh, you know, disqualify that. Uh, in all respects, for a while I was passing through and I examined the objects of your worship. And I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And people say... I believe in God. They believe. I believe in God. I'm not sure he's there. I'm sure. The culture hasn't changed much. People still, till today, say the same thing today. The unknown God. I'm not sure if he's there. There are even Christians who sadly, you know, fall into the, this trap. They say, I'm not sure if even God exists anymore. Then the answer to that is, could you remember the great things where you experienced the dealings of the Lord with you? Where he came through for you? Where you supernaturally have seen his power day after day and you have seen his intervention? He has come through to you in many, many times. And Paul says... When he sees the, the inscription of the unknown God, he says, Therefore, what you worship in, in ignorance, that is, without knowing, you don't know who you're worshiping, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live and, uh, on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed time and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him, trying to, trying to find their way to God, like people, you know, the, their idea of God is fuzzy, but they are trying, they are seeking. We should commend that. And find him. He is not, though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Paul is using what the people have. He's working with what is there in their minds. And what I'm encouraging us to consider here is to use what is in the minds of our friends who don't know the Lord and work with it. 
what is in their minds. They are on a journey. They are seeking. They are searching. They are groping for him here and there. We shouldn't belittle that. We shouldn't bash that. No. These are signs we could work with whenever we meet with anybody. Begin to say, instead of saying, how different are they from us? The question is, what, what kind of common ground can we build in order to have a dialogue? Can we have a conversation? To have a conversation, you need to build common ground. You need to find traces here and there, even though there is so much darkness surrounding them. But you use what they have got. And one of the favorite verses of mine is what Paul says, uh, in him we live and move and exist. This was said by one of the Greek poets, but it's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful verses for me in the, in the Bible. That any time I feel like I'm in need of guidance, I say, Lord, I'm moving and living in your divine presence now. What is that called? They call it in psychology, affirmation. You're giving your brain a signal that you'll be in tune with the divine. And you tell the brain that you are in tune with the divine, then you will be tuning in the antenna on the divine channel and you'll hear from God. In Him we move and live and have our being. I am surrounded by the presence of God. Divine presence enfolds me. That's an affirmation. When you affirm that, it will be so. Because you have affirmed it. You have to tell your brain where you need to be, and that's where you will be. But to say, I don't know, well, take a verse like that and affirm it. When we read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say, please, Lord, be my shepherd. No, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Who's he saying this to? He's saying that to himself. The Lord is my shepherd. You are my shepherd. You are accompanying me. You go with me wherever I go. And you lead me. I am taken care of by you. That kind of affirmation is very important in our prayer life. By doing that, we invite divine presence to surround us, to enfold us, to fill us up, to illumine us, to guide us, to dispel any confusion, because when there is divine presence, we're filled with divine love. And when we're filled with divine love, love dissolves, love dissolves anything that is unlike it. You have fear, perfect love dissolves fear immediately. It's like, takes care of it. But you have to tune in the antenna. You have to tune in everything in you, within you, by affirming it. I'm moving and living in the power of God. You are surrounding me, Lord. You are enfolding me now. You are filling me up. 
Thank you, Lord, for filling me up. How can I be filled with God? You don't have to wait or go through big session. No, just affirm it. Thank you, Lord, for filling me up. I'm ready to receive your fullness now. I'm filled by you day after day. And as a result, while others are suffering from inner emptiness, you feel full, full, pleasantly full by the Lord. He will never overwhelm you like some meals would overwhelm you. If the Lord is not real in my life, I can open myself up to him right now and invite him to take control of my life. I can say to him, Lord, I have been running everything my own way for so long, but I want you to take full lead in my life. I want you to rule over my life. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we are frail human beings. We have tried for so long to lead our life. We have tried to be good by the standard of everybody around us. But our flesh and our heart, they fail us. They lead us nowhere. We try hard and hard, and every time we fail. My flesh and my heart, they fail me. But you, Lord Jesus, are the strength of my own life. I want you, Lord, to be my king and my Lord and my Savior today and every day all my life. I surrender my life completely to you today. I turn everything over to you. I ask you to be the ultimate and the only Lord of my life. I ask you to guide me. I ask you to fill me up and make me aware of your presence, your companionship, your company, your sweet presence, so that I'm never alone, I'm never empty, I'm filled by you at all times, because you, when you fill up, Nothing else do I need from this world. I pray, Lord, that you heal our bodies, our minds, our emotions. You make us whole so that we radiate you to a culture that we love dearly. The American culture, everybody surrounding us. Everybody we look at with compassion as we leave this place. Nobody's an enemy. Nobody is too different or less than us. We're both seeking the living bread. And we ask you to use us to, pre to present and bring that living bread to every 
hungry soul in the world around us. In the name of Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.